Welcome to the Real Estate Investors Weekender Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the award-winning editorial staff at nreionline.com. Let's jump right into this week's top news, features, and blog posts. Hello, and welcome to the NREI Weekender with your host, David Bodemer. Let's dive into this week's top news stories, and I think we've got four of them today. Is that right, David? That's right. We're going to touch base on four uh, pieces, four of our pieces from the week. Three of them. We got a very retail centric uh, podcast this week, just based on some of the reports that came out and some of the news in the industry. All right. All right. Well, what are we starting with? So starting with a piece that we have about um, the American Dream Project, which is finally getting ready to open. So for those that fully familiar with the notorious history of this project. It's been in the works for, at this point, over 20 years. Um, 20 years in development? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's the victim Jeez. of both issues with it, with the, it's the, the project's changed hand, in development. It's changed hands a few times. It was also a victim of the financial crisis where it mm-hmm. kind of got halted in mid-development. I mean, you know, one of the just to give a sense of how long this thing's been going on and some of the ups and downs. I mean, Lehman Brothers was one of the lenders on this project <laughs> at one point. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> at this point, uh, so now, like, you know, Triple Five Group uh, is the company that's finally bringing this thing to, to fruition. The project is right in New Jersey, basically right next to the stadium where the the New York Giants and the New York Jets play. The name of it changed a couple times. It was originally called Xanadu. It's now, you know, like I said, called American Dream. It's and the developer Triple Five Corp, who people will probably be familiar with because they own both the Mall of America and the West Edmonton Mall, which are two of the largest malls in mm-hmm. the North America between the two of them. They are the ones that are finally getting this thing open. So it's now scheduled to open on October 25th. At least the first phases of it will, and then. They will continue to phase in other attractions deep into 2020. Got it. That's so. It's it's a mega mall, obviously, and I've been to both of the other ones that you that you mentioned, Mall mm-hmm. of America and then West Edmonton. Fantastic malls, but at the same time, I know people that live around the Mall of America at this point, and they're like, "There's no reason to go there," on, in their opinion, because it's crowded, it's touristy, which I guess that is somewhat the point. However. The, the retail shops, I've been told that there are multiple versions of, so there's like, I'll, I'll just say Claire's. I have no idea if they, there's a Claire's in there or not, but Claire's, there may be three of them in the Mall of America in, on different locations because it's so large and it's, you know, they've got multiple floors and so on and so forth. What is What are the stores going to be looking like in this? How many stores can they fit in this thing? And are stores going to go there? I mean, we, I just, we just spoke on a, past podcast what a couple weeks ago about uh or a couple months ago about you know retail online taking over a lot of this share how's this gonna work yeah so i mean those are good points and actually so what's what is going to be different about this project is that it's going to be much much uh more heavily weighted towards food and entertainment than traditional retail that that was somewhat always the vision even in in some of the previous iterations, but some of the some of the amenities that were going to be there, like it ended up not happening. But you know, now um, what what Triple Five is going to have in there? There's going to be an amusement park 
called Nickelodeon Universe, mm-hmm. uh, a, okay. a water park water park themed um, with uh, from DreamWorks, uh, an ice rink, a miniature golf course, a ski and snowboarding park, then a whole slew of food related things, including a food a kosher food hall. Uh, mm-hmm. I think which which they're claiming is America's first fully kosher food hall, and then some other kind of twenty full service restaurants. So I think with the overall balance that they um, are going to have here is about 55% entertainment and 45% retail. And that does include that, that does include, you know, some, a lot of traditional retail, but then it includes some of the, some of the more experiential retail. So that's, that's the way they're trying to come at the problem. You know, like I think the stuff that you were just identifying, that's, that's how they're, I think that's how they have programmed this project to try to, uh, set it up to be successful. So it sounds like it's it's geared more toward experiential things, meaning yes. you know food and and going out with friends and then entertainment. Now I was looking at some of the notes. The first indoor ski slope and snowboard yeah. park, snowboard park. That's yes. I don't. How's it even? <laughs> I don't even know how that's going to work. An indoor ski slope that the uh, cooling bills are going to be crazy <laughs> high. And, you know. Yeah, probably the cooling bills. Yeah, like I've seen this project literally for years because it is just right side of New York City, and it and it is like I said, right next to the stadium. So anytime you drive on um, Route Three outside New York City, you see this thing, and you've seen how it's transformed over the years. But yeah, I mean, it's a it's a very big project, a very big structure, and you could see where that you know there is a very funky part of it where you could see where the ski slope is going to be. Really. See, I've never been to New Jersey, so I have no idea. But that just, that's, you know, it's interesting. I, I got a question. I don't know if you'll know the answer to this one, but first of all, the name Xanadu, well, that was, that's how long, yeah, yeah. That, that's the original name. That's how long this has been in, in, uh, in the works because that was what, a song from the 70s. So that was still, <laughs> there's still, I don't know. I know it hasn't been since the 70s, but good Lord, that's a long time. And then it's been so long. I'm really curious about, I know for my own home and my own uh, work I've done with some others is that codes change, right? Building codes change. In over 20 years, I'm pretty sure electrical and some building codes have changed. Have they had to go in and just redesign the entire thing? You have any idea? There ha- yeah, there have been parts of it that were originally built that then were tore down um, so and then rebuilt. Wow. So there, ha- that, that I think that's happened both because of the programmatic changes and possibly because of when this thing got stuck in the cycle or maybe even some... I, I don't know specifically if the coding has been a part of it, but there definitely have been structural changes. The entire, uh, the color scheme of the outside of the project also changed. It used to have this large colored tiled areas that were, that was kind of the aesthetic they were going for. And then I, I don't remember maybe a year or two, they, they ripped all those down and now it's got a, it's got a, it's got a much, a, a more modern look and, and not as much of a different color yeah. anymore. Yeah. I just pulled up a picture when you said that, and that looks like a deranged chessboard. Yeah, that's what it. Ugh. That's what it. That's that's a good description. That's what it looked like at one point, but that's not what it looks like now. <laughs> well, that's good. I yeah. Anything, yeah. And they couldn't settle on one color. There's like part of it's orange, tan. I'm and I'm colorblind, and I, it offends me. Uh, orange, tan, and like red. Uh, and then the other parts are the, some light blue stuff and, and different colors of blue. I, I kind of like those, except for the the pattern. So good. I'm glad that they've updated. I'll, I'll look forward to seeing it in the future. Yeah, um, I think it's it's a more like just a uniform like sort of light color now on the exterior. So it just it looks it's more it's got a more contemporary designs look like now. Yeah, so you said it's right next to Giant Stadium. Do they have a parking garage there that's going to be able to accommodate all these things? I, I don't. It sounds like it's in a busy area of New Jersey. Like I said, I've never been there, but 
what are they thinking for capacity for this thing for since it's supposed to be more tourism than than just regular shopping yeah it's kind of share there's i mean metlife it's now metlife stadium you know we got to we got to respect the naming rights deals. So. Mm-hmm, yes, <laughs> <laughs> it's it is next to MetLife Stadium. That, that there's not a whole lot around around there because it's part of New Jersey that's called the Meadowlands, which um, got it. was just a giant marshlands. Which at some point they you know they took areas of it and basically made it so they could build structures there. I got guess you put piles or whatever. So they they had there was a lot of. A, a, a lot of land to work with, even with the stadium already there. There also used to be a, um, an arena there too, which I, I can't remember if they've knocked the arena down or not to, to build this. So there is some shared parking. There is, I think some parking that will be dedicated to the project, but I'm, but I th- they took into account that like on game days, you know, yeah, that's that, what I was thinking, you know, that, that people need to be able to, you know, there's going to be all the people going typically, you know, all the giants and jets fans, depending on the week. And then, to accommodate this project as well. They have tried to make that whole area a little bit more um, accessible by mass transit as well. Mm-hmm. There's a de- there's like a, a dedicated train line that you could now take from like New York City to go to the stadium as well as buses. So nice. I don't I, I don't know like what percentage of um, the fans use that, but I mean that I think you know there there is some there at least there is and there are options besides just driving to the stadium for game days. Gotcha. Yeah, no, I'm I'm looking at an aerial photo now. That makes much more sense now that I see it from the from the air. There's a ton of area around it. There's a sky bridge. It looks like from the stadium to the mall. That other stadium you're talking about is there, which looks like it's just storing a lot of big containers at this point. But yeah, there's a lot of room there for movement and everything. So okay, got it. Well, it look, looks looks okay. Any more on this yeah. story? Yeah, there's just like a quote from we, we talked to um, Nick Galian, who is the president of SiteWorks Retail Real Estate Services, which is a consultant firm. Um, and they said, you know, the way, like I thought well, this was just a good quote, like don't try to put this project into any of the baskets you're most familiar with. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's called a mall, but don't think of it as a mall. Really, there's nothing like it. This is a complex that has the most dollars invested in entertainment of any project in the United States. So I think, you know, that's, again, why it's not just like a mall and why I think it might be worth keeping an eye on in terms of, you know, could this be a model for other markets? I mean, the triple five group themselves is planning to build another one of these, or they may even be in progress at this point outside Miami as well. So they, they mm-hmm. definitely have a vision towards making this not just a one-off. Yeah. All right. Interesting. We'll see. So the next piece was one of the big news stories in the retail industry this week, which is just putting into context what we know about Barney's now that they, they, they filed for bankruptcy earlier this week. You know, there's now, What's going to happen with them? Basically, for the time being, I mean, they're not like the largest, you know, they're upscale department store. They have about a little bit over 20 existing locations across the country. So what they're based on what they did this week, they're filing for restructuring. They're not liquidating yet. They are closing 15 of their locations. However, interestingly enough, they have a couple of projects that are in development that they're still planning on open. And one of them is actually at the American dream mall. So oh, what a um, dink. That, yeah. So that one's that, that is still going to open and they're keeping as well. They have two, um, two flagships in Manhattan that are staying open um, and stores in San Francisco, Beverly Hills and Boston. And then they're keeping a couple of their 
they have a couple of warehouse outlets stores that they're keeping open. They're shutting the rest of their a couple other department stores, a couple of their outlets, and then a couple of smaller concept stores. So at this point, what's going to, you know, as part of their bankruptcy, they secured $218 million in financing that they're going to use to kind of meet some of its financial obligations, try to keep, you know, keep themselves running and hopefully get to, you know, see if they could uh, arrange some longer term financing, try to do a turnaround plan. If they are unsuccessful with that plan, then then maybe we will be looking at liquidation uh, for the rest of the stores at some point. But for now, that's that's what we're looking at. So the for the stores, for the, the rest of the stores, they've, um, you know, as part of the bankruptcy, they're, they've rejected those leases. So those leases will now go back. To the, those stores are going to be closing. Um, the leases are going to go back to the landlords and that space is, you know, I guess we'll see what, ha- like, you know, some of those, some of those are urban, some of them are in upscale malls. So there's now just the challenge for the, for the landlords to deal with that. Yeah. Have they thought about loaning out their clothes? Like some of those other stores we talked about on the previous <laughs> I don't, I'm kidding. I don't, I don't even go there. Yeah. From, 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 <laughs> yeah. What was it? I think H and M and Lululemon that were yeah. last week. The, this, the, the, those are just the, nightmares the, for me still. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> David, this this is called Barney's New York. Is that what you said? Yeah, that's the full name of the company. Yes. Okay, and yeah. Sort of more colloquially, we just call them Barney's. Barney's. Yeah, I've never heard of Barney's. Maybe that's why they're bankrupt, is because I haven't been shopping there. But no, I'm kidding. Go. So, is, are they saying anything else as far as what the issues have been and what the problems are? Yeah, I, um, the executives did to, to point to um, high rents as being a culprit in their financial troubles. Uh, for example, uh, last year, an uh, arbiter, an external arbiter ruled that the rent on their store on Madison Avenue um, could be doubled from, at the time, wow. they went, it went from $16 million to $30 million uh, annually. So that was the result of a new lease clause that it had signed with its landlord in the early 2000s. So the new rent went into effect um, in January this year, and, you know, the Obviously, you know, that doubling of a rent on Madison Avenue, New York City for a department store, that's a big chunk of change suddenly you have to deal with when you're also dealing with, you know, maybe with sales that are not going so well. Yeah. And, and you, I wonder, and I don't, I'm not in the industry, so I wonder how much time do they have before this order was handed down or this decision was made to be able to make a change instead of being hit with that much and then what being stuck for the next two or three years losing i mean basically what 14 15 million dollars yeah i think i mean it was a you know dispute so they had some awareness that it was a a clause in their lease but clearly they were trying to challenge that Mm -hmm. and were arbiter did not come down on their side so that's a a big hit wow that's unfortunate yeah and so um you know at the time of the bankruptcy they had approximately 200 million dollars in debt um as well that's that's part of what they have to work through Mm. so Basically, with the new financing that we talked about earlier, they have, they they are going to try to find a buyer, um, you know, maybe another company to take over. And if they that doesn't happen within a sixty day period, then then that's when they'd be possibly looking at liquidation. Wow. All right. Well, we'll see. Time will tell on this one too. So, staying on in the retail sector, we're going to go from Barney's to the complete opposite end of the retail spectrum. Talk about dollar stores. Ah, I've heard of those. Yeah. We, we have those in Nebraska. 
<laughs> so this piece was more which was based on um, looking at research from a couple of the experts in the NetLease space since the the vast vast majority of dollar stores are are triple net leased properties. Um, so both the Boulder Group um, out of Illinois and Calcane companies had recent research pointing to, you know, what's just the, just kind of just giving us an update on the state of, um, of investment for net lease dollar store properties. And, you know, generally, you know, the, the, the news is good. Um, cap rates are stable. They're right around, but both of the companies found that they were about 7.1% and they're a little bit lower than the cap rates more broadly for retail overall indicating that you know dollar stores are outperforming maybe some of the broader retail sector and therefore are are an attractive investment opportunity option for people looking to invest in in retail net lease properties david why do you think a dollar store or dollar stores in general are doing as well as they are i mean i i get that it's cheap i get that but i mean it's not as though you can buy everything you need from there. You still need to go to the grocery store to get certain things. You still need to go to certain clothing stores to get certain things. Why are these doing uh, so much better? I mean, I think there's a couple of couple of reasons why. One is just in general, there's for for retail in recent years that there's kind of been a barbell shaped pattern of of retail sales, which is there's a lot of sales at the discount end. They, those have tended to do well, and then stuff. Of, I mean, obviously not Barney's, but other upscale mm. retailers have also done really well. And there's been kind of a hollowing out of the middle. So dollar stores, I think, have picked up a lot. Like just in the last decade or so, I've just picked up a ton of um, market share that's that's been given up by the hollowing out of um, mid 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 range department stores or or, or even some, some um, even some grocery stores, and. In addition, that some dollar stores have actually added larger grocery sections, have added more convenience-oriented uh, design uh, to, to their locations. So I think that that's also boosted their performance. I think that in some ways they're becoming, um, in some areas, just like the default place to go shopping. Mm, yeah, it's interesting that you say that because right when you were talking about barbell shape, First thing I thought of, well, that's that's really what we've seen kind of a trend in the United States as far as where the middle class is going, right? There's a huge squeeze on the middle class, so it's mm-hmm. there's less middle class, so there's either more on the lower end of that barbell, or there's they're separated themselves out, and they're more on the higher end of that barbell. So I mean, that makes perfect sense why the, the middle middle uh, middle class type stores are uh, suffering because the middle class is suffering. That's exactly correct. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think I think it's a reflection of that demographic trend, and then also like. When there has been a, been a trend in in recent years too, that even when the middle class maybe wants to spl- people that are in that that economic group want to splurge, they'll do some aspirational shopping. So like they'll if they're going to buy something, they're going to spend, then they're going to they're going to you know try to save up maybe and then try to buy something out of luxury rather than just like mm-hmm. going to a more mid mid range store. Um, so there's. Yeah, there's some there's some aspirational shopping that does occur at the luxury retailers. David, I, I can't believe uh, I thought of this right when you said that. You said that dollar stores are kind of becoming more of the place to shop, right? I mean, that was the, the statement that you made, which which is so funny because I've got two Mountain Dew bottles that are sitting right in front of me. I, I love Mountain Dew, 
Um, <laughs> not endorsing Mountain Dew necessarily for everybody, but uh, my wife bought me one at the grocery store the other day. I said, hey, can you, can you grab me one real quick? Because I don't like to have them in the house because I will drink too much of it. Um, but she grabbed one from the grocery store, and I think a, it's a 20-ounce bottle, and I think it, where she got it was a buck forty-five, something like that. Well, right next to my son's work, he's a mechanic, right next to his work, there is a dollar store. I'm not sure which brand of dollar store it is, uh, but he buys bottles of Mountain Dew, and I have that bottle sitting next to me as well, 1.25 liters. So mm-hmm. 1.25 liter bottle, it was a dollar. There you go. So, I, yeah, I mean, come on. It's uh that may be my store of choice for Mountain Dew from now on for sure. I mean, that's a ton of difference there. Right. I mean, and that's clearly one of the um, draws of them. The, the, I think also the other factor that, 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 that has fueled the strength of the dollar stores in addition to what we've already talked about is that they've kind of been um, in the unintended beneficiary of Walmart's expansion. Um, mm. You know, as Walmart has eaten away market share from, grocery stores from a lot of like a lot of the mid range, like, you know, the JC Penney's and mm, uh, some of the other department stores, which, you know, have struggled some of the, the middle to lower middle uh, um, department stores, which have had to close stores or rebrand or do other things. And then I think that's unintentionally created some of the opening for dollar stores to step in as well, because, you know, Walmarts are great, but like sometimes you don't want to go to the super Walmart. So. Mm-hmm. Just want to pick up something, you know, something, just a couple of things. Yeah. So I think they've they've almost like piggyback, like you know, Walmart's kind of like, like some of the discount, the, the bigger discount retailers have blazed the trail, caused some issues with the with mid price retailers, and then in the wake created some of the opportunity for dollar stores to also grow. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think convenience stores, people always think about that, and that's that's almost always tied to a gas station. Uh, and that means it's convenient, yes, but the prices are much higher because it's not like they can do a whole lot with their gas prices. They're not making a ton on that. So the dollar stores, you don't have the traffic of people pumping gas. You don't have the the expense of all the pumps and everything else. So that maybe the dollar store is the new convenience store. Yeah, and I think I, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but I also think maybe on an average square footage basis, a dollar store is going to be oh yeah bigger than a convenience store too. So you're going to have a more inventory. Yeah. Um, all right. What's our next story? Our last story, I think. So, yeah, our last story. Well, I guess just to put a little button on the last one, which is like, you know, we got kind of in the weeds on the operations for the dollar store. But just like the um, the upshot is like, yeah, this is so you've got these retailers that are performing well and they're on a triple net lease. So, you know, it's just a so it's just a really solid investment for um for people that are looking for a certain size mm-hmm. of investment in the retail sector, you got a stable tenant, got a long-term lease. You don't have to do much management of them, and they're not probably not going to go anywhere because of all the stuff we were talking about. So yeah. that's why the cap, you know, the, what we the, the initial sort of data point in the piece about cap rates compressing. Um, that's why that's happening. So, and that I think that's why it'll continue to be a good. Um, they should continue to be a good bet because I think the you know in the past. As well, there's also been a lot of expansion in some in that space, which has led some of the dollar store chains to get in trouble and have to maybe close some stores. Maybe they got you know open too many, but I don't results, think that yeah. that's a current issue. Got it. So anyway, that's just sort of a. I guess there was a lot more to say in that one than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, our last piece for this week is just an update on. I think we've touched upon this in a previous podcast as well, but it's another update on what. The public publicly traded rates are doing because there's just um, we have some data now 
based on the um, first half of the year that REITs raised a total of $44.4 billion, which I think is an 86% rise year over year compared to what they did in the first half of 2018. Mm. So they've been going to public markets. A lot of REITs have done secondary equity offer offerings to, to issue more shares. Um, it was the, lar- the largest quarter. The, there was 54 equity offerings overall, uh, the largest number in a single quarter since the third quarter of 2017. And this was based on a report from from uh, PwC. What Tim Bodner, who's the partner there, said, the biggest driver of why we have seen an acceleration of public REIT capital raising is mainly due to the improved interest rate environment. Um, so just given that, and given that like this all happened prior to the Fed doing the interest rate cut, I think that what that means is that uh, it won't be terribly surprising if we see this, if we see more secondary equity offerings by REITs in the third and fourth quarters. And this may also fuel um, the IPO market, which has been a little bit quiet this year. Um, but I think there's some companies that were, some some um, companies or private funds that were have been talking about um, going public and maybe we'll start to see some movement on that in the second half as the second half of this year uh, continues to unfold. Gotcha. All right, David, anything else we need to know about story number four? That's really it on this one. And that's just wanted to kind of do the headline takeaways uh, for that one. So that's, that kind of covers us for the week. All right. And where can people find all these articles? I know we're just doing the highlights, but where are they finding the articles online? Yeah, just come to uh, nreionline.com. I do, yeah, I wanted to point out, actually, especially with um, the Barney story, If uh, on the site we have a map um, showing all of their locations and the various fates, which ones are staying open and which ones are closing, et cetera. So that's uh, something that you can see on the website. But all, all the pieces are, are there at uh, nreionline.com. Perfect. Thank you, David, so much for your time. Great recap. Thanks, son. Thanks. Good talk to you again. You bet. Thank you for listening to the NREI Weekender with your host, David Bodemer. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when David comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at the NREI Weekender, this is Eric Johnson inviting you back next week for all the news that matters to you. See you soon. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of NERI Informa. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only.